We all live in a community. Some of us are in the city, some in the suburbs, and some in the country. But we all live in the community of nature. And right now, nature is in trouble. It's not always easy to find a solution to nature's problems. Humans have done an amazing job of screwing up the natural world. But sometimes solutions are within our reach. This is one of those times, and this is Green Street. We take a lot of things for granted in this world, especially in the natural world around us. Many of us are so busy we don't always notice the trees and the flowers, the squirrels and the chipmunks, the birds, butterflies and honeybees. We are too busy with our own lives. But all of these gifts of nature have a purpose in the overall plan. Every living thing has a role to play and some of those are vital to our own survival. Last week, Patty and I had the pleasure of speaking with Edwina van Gaal, one of the area's most respected landscape designers, who's also the founder of the nonprofit Perfect Earth Project. She recently started a new venture to bring attention to the plight of some of the partners who share this earth with us. Patty began by asking her how she got started on this mission. Here's our interview with Edwina van Gaal. That started when I was a kid, you know, okay. but not consciously, right? because nobody thought that was unusual or that it was even particularly like an important specialty. Everything was fine, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> ET was fine. Everything was fine. And so then when I became a landscape designer, it was really all about the mixed English borders and every new introduction and knowing, growing things that were really difficult to grow. And, and it took a long time before I realized the amount of resource that that was taking. And, and it really, I had to get out of the country to discover that, which was I, I had a job in Panama designing a park for the Museum of Biodiversity. And I started going around the country, and I wanted to do it all in native plants because the, it's a museum of biodiversity after all sure and it was celebrating the amazing biodiversity of panama so i was wandering around panama looking at all the different plants and i met some people who were doing native species reforestation and they knew about native species so i was tagging along and then ended up we ended up starting a small nonprofit there and i realized that they were they were promoting or not promoting just they were using chemicals and i said well I've, you know, I had never used chemicals in my garden, and I thought, that's weird. I mean, <laughs> why? W these are native species. Like, you're trying to replace what was here. And they said, oh, well, it won't work without them. And I said, well, you know, let's try. Nobody else is doing this. And why would we be going into places and teaching people to grow their own trees with chemicals mm. and when that, that's just not healthy. Mm. And so it worked. And then people started saying, well, why aren't you doing this back home? So I came <laughs> home and I kind of had a, a, a light bulb moment and started the Perfect Earth Project. And that was, we officially launched in 2013 after I tried it out because landscapers here told me the same thing. Well, you can't do it without chemicals. Yeah. And 
happily I had some clients who said, well, okay, we'll, we'll try. We don't even know. None of us even like, had ever really paid any attention at all to what they were using. And it was kind of um, a shock to us all when we gathered all of their invoices and proposals and started making lists of just what, what are all these programs putting, and then looking at what, what, what are the implications of that? You know, what are the health risks? And it was shocking, as you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we said, okay, and what, what could we lose? If, if, what can we lose if this doesn't work? You know, and what does it doesn't work even mean? Yeah. And so finding people to do it with us was, you know, um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, you know, and we learned as we went. And I thought at the time that it would be easy to engage the landscape professional community because it would be better for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, healthier but, for them from yeah. an occupational standpoint, right? Yeah. They, they, wouldn't, yeah. they weren't being exposed to those chemicals. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought, well, th- we're learning how to do this, so wouldn't they like to learn how to do this? And the answer was not so simple. Yeah. And it, because so many of them are really operating as a business model, not really coming from a place of love of plants. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that's really, to me, the big divide, and how, and so where I, where this has all launched me through the years, in working on this, is how do we engage a, a generation, a new generation of landscape professionals who are really involved in land care, and who are plant geeks like mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, that they're coming from that place. Sure. The proof is that the very few landscapers that I'm working with out here on the East End who have decided to make this their model, they have more business they can, than they can possibly handle. Mm. Sure. So, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's beginning to spread slowly, but it's beginning to spread the, the news, right? That, yeah. That pesticides are dangerous, not just for people, but for everything. All life, all Mm -hmm. life, our Mm -hmm. water, our air, our, you know, our wildlife that surrounds our soil. Exactly. Okay, so so there there is the the perfect earth project, but now you have another project. But now I have another project. Yeah. Because still, I didn't feel like I was getting quite the engagement from the professional community that I would like. Mm -hmm. And and so we're, we're training up clients at this point, homeowners. To, to when they go to the garden center, not everybody has a landscaper, you know, but everybody who has a piece of land should have an opportunity to know how to do it without chemicals and why it's important and how much more fun it is. Mm-hmm. So uh, when was that? About three years ago, the news came out about the great bird die-off. We've lost three billion birds since the 70s, and largely it's our everyday birds because they're the birds whose habitat coincides with ours Mm -hmm. and we are making our land inhospitable the main causes for the bird die-off are loss of habitat and use of pesticides and i thought that sounds like me (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like me loss of habitat and use of pesticides right up my alley right Um, count me in and and then just then i was i i I was doing a few lectures from time to time on the same stage as doug tallamy and so he gave me an advanced copy of his book 
um, Nature's Best Hope to read, and in it he says that his research has proven that if 70% of the plants in a bird's natural range are native, that could turn the bird die off around. They'll have enough to maintain a healthy population. I thought, it's quantifiable. Mm. You know, so now there's an easy, like some, if there's a recipe for this. Mm-hmm. I can simply tell people, if you meet this simple criteria, loss of habitat, no, replace habitat. So that's 70%, hmm, that's about two-thirds, rhymes with birds. Okay, we got it. Two-thirds for the birds. So Doug said, sure, count me in. And off we went. And so it's a simple request. If two-thirds of the plants you plant from now on are native and you do not use pesticides, we've also added the only thing you need to change in your landscape is if you have anything that is invasive to remove it. And please don't send it to the dump where it will spread to everybody else's yard. (laughs) It might get distributed. Uh, that's, that's the simple request, and I am focusing first and foremost on the landscape design professional community because we are supposed to be leaders in this, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, so that wouldn't it make sense if we never made another landscape that didn't meet the basic needs of the earth? Wow. Yeah. All right, so yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to go back because you said don't you you want to pull out the invasives, but then don't send them to the dump. Where do you yes. go with the invasives? Well, what I do is um, it depends on what part of the plant I have. So one way to pull your is if the invasives spread by seed, mm-hmm. pull them out before they go to seed. Okay, and, and then you can compost them regular. Okay, like, that's like garlic mustard. Right. Oh, I know. <laughs> Yeah, if you pull that out before it goes to seed, you get way ahead of it. And you can put that in your compost, not a problem. But you can also eat it, you know, that's, I mean. Yeah, yeah. you can eat it. (laughs) You can also eat it, exactly. Okay, so how about about kudzu, which is like everywhere? Well, I don't know, is there kudzu on Long Island? Yeah, there is kudzu on Long Island. We have it at the Science Museum here in Port Washington. Oh, wow. Well, I guess it's headed east then, most likely, Mm -hmm. on the LIE. But it would be probably the same as um, any of the other largely stolen at first, um, or does it, it spread by seed or by roots? I think it's by roots. Yeah, so then the things that are roots, like mugwort, or also known as mumweed, that's mm-hmm. my big enemy, because oh, oh, oh. it comes from the nurseries. Now, historically, yeah. they said it doesn't set viable seed. But I think it could be just like many of the other things that are becoming invasive, that for years they were ornamentals that did not set seed, and now they do. So, but but mm. it has a, has a really, really aggressive root that if you don't get every tiny bit out, it comes right back. So, so that, if you chopped it up and put it and sent it to your local composting center or something, there's a good chance if they don't have a really hot compost that they'll spread it around. So... I lay it out in the sun and, hmm. and dry it, and then I have what I call my dirty compost, and so that's uh, layers of whatever these things are, like bittersweet, rosa multiflora, all those go in this pile, and then I'll build it up about a foot or two, then I lay a layer of compost, I mean, of cardboard on top, and on top of that, I put some bark, ch- some wood chips, 
from because no biomass leaves my property. That's that's mm. my personal game I play mm-hmm. with my property because <laughs> that's closing what I call the food loop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. which is like the food web, but I just like the sound of food loop better. <laughs> and so, because if we can't close the food loop on a single piece of property, how are we going to do it for the earth? Exactly. You know, it does so, it. So. Yes, exactly. So so let's just talk about these big ideas, because we have a lot of people listening to this show who are living in apartment buildings. And, um, you know, how how do they participate in something like this through their parks? Can they what what's have you worked with any of the of the parks? Not not yet. We just I, I launched two thirds of the birds on the first day of spring. 2021. Wow. Okay. So you're brand new. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's my busy season. (laughs) And this is the busiest of busy seasons ever, I think. Mm. Mm. And so, um, no, I haven't spoken to parks yet. But really, the whole idea of Two Thirds for the Birds is that it's not about me. We ask for no money. It's completely commerce free. And really, it's about take this idea and take it out into the world as your own. And so if you, whatever piece of land is the land that you feel brings you this wonderful um, kind of the the joy. Connection, right? And and the benefits of being outdoors, that's your place. And so wherever is your place, find out if you're not in charge of it, find out who is. And ask them to follow these simple things. And you and we, through you announced this amazing thing that New York City isn't using pesticides anymore. Well, so it, it, already it, there's a phase, a and it eventually will will not exactly. Yeah. So, yep. but a New York City park is already on the way, and there are many parks in New York City, actually, who are two thirds like the High Line. They don't use pesticides, and they're largely native. Mm-hmm. And um, the battery downtown, mm-hmm. they don't use any pesticides. Right. And there Brooklyn Bridge. Parks. And Brooklyn Bridge Park. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of natives. Yeah. So it's, it's coming around. But so if, your par- if the park, your place, is already practicing that, become a volunteer and ah. learn more. Because mm-hmm. there are people at the parks, there are programs at the parks. And if your park doesn't have that, see if you can encourage them to do so. And so that's how, but even if, if you have a window box, you can plant a native plant in it mm. and you will get a butterfly. You will get a bee. They're looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love they that idea. You. You'll get a bee. Yeah. yeah. Or a butterfly. They're looking for you. Yeah. That's a yeah. great, that's a great thought. Okay. I love it. You're listening to Green Street on WBAI. And our guest this morning is Edwina Van Gaal, acclaimed landscape designer and the creator of 234birds.org. Okay. So let's move on. So, so two thirds for the birds. So what's your big plan for this? My big plan for this is that ultimately the landscape professional community is number one, leads the way so that a lot of people sign up and it becomes a hub of information and we share the what we learn as we learn it because one of the wonderful things about being in this profession is that you'll never get bored because there's no end of things to learn and we're learning each day so let's say in the last few years we've learned so much about the soil biome 
and how it relates to the human biome, which is part of the explanation of why sophisticated pesticides are actually harmful for people because they harm your biome. Mm -hmm. They're not so maybe necessarily so bad for your human cells, but they're really bad for the things that run your human cells. Exactly. And and so those are the so you could spend any amount of time learning all about that and how it relates to the soil biome. I believe that we all need to eat a bit of, of soil in our lives. Um, and that's what gardening does for you. You end up with a fair amount of dirt in your mouth. And that, I think, is keeping me really healthy. <laughs> but, of course, it's got to be good, clean dirt. Um, but so the, the idea is that ultimately people are tapped into all these um, um, different components on their own, so in their own community, they take an idea from two-thirds and they make it their own and they talk to the people in their neighborhood or they talk to their local municipality. And we're working with um, pollinator pathways mm -hmm. because we're very similar. So they do the, they do the insects and we do the birds. Mm -hmm. And it's, so it's a very similar concept of, of decentralization and allowing people to make it work in their own way, but giving them access to resources and sharing case studies. This is so, all just but, very, very exciting to hear this. Yeah. Very exciting. I know lots of people that I want to share this with, you know, as soon as I can. But can we talk a little bit about what's happening to these birds? I mean, you mentioned a, 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 an outrageous figure. Four million, what was it? Or billion? Um, three billion. Three billion birds like, that we have yeah. lost since the 1970s? Yeah, that's like the total population of birds in America has declined by about a third since the 70s. And, and that's really, when you think about, you know, it's like, how did that happen? Well, they have, they have no place to hide. They have no place to eat because our landscapes have been cleared. We're treating our exteriors the same as interiors i think it has to do with a lot of people just never owned a home before or they're just competing with each other to be tidier and more c controlling <laughs> and like look at my landscape it's cleaner than yours but that's not good for nature look at my house it's cleaner than, and my landscape too yeah. look at my yard yeah. there's exactly. nothing in it <laughs> And, and see, I don't like, you know, and, and I know some people say, well, like, nature is messy. But see, it doesn't look messy to me because there's so much amazing order in everything that nature does. It just isn't apparent to people who want something so simplistic as a sofa on a rug that just got vacuumed. And I do not expect people to think that a house full of ants is a good idea. But a garden full of ants is a great idea. Right. And it's just a really, and so it's very hard for people to leave that ant-free, bug-free, germ-free, like anything out of place. Lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, mentality. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. walk outdoors and it's a challenge. It's a real challenge for them. They don't know the names of anything. You know, just think yeah. of like you go yeah. to a party. I consider my garden like a or every place I go outdoors is like a giant party. I'm really lucky. I always know everybody there. 
I can like I don't need people. <laughs> and then if I go to someplace else in the in the world and I don't know all of them, it doesn't take long to learn them because they're really closely related to the ones I know. And people are a bit overwhelmed by the enormity of what they see is the enormity of that. And this this is the sad part that they cannot go to a garden center or they cannot call up a landscape professional and ask them, what's that tree? What does that tree really need? What does that tree want? You know, what are the plants in my landscape? Where, were they, where are they native? So what kind of soils would be right for them? Because once you get all that right, you don't need to add anything. This is where they evolved. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're, so you're talking about natives and you're talking about flowering plants, um, but you're also talking about trees, is that right? Oh, yeah. And how, how important, I mean, if you compare trees to, you know, small native flowering plants or perennials, let's say, native perennial, um, what, where's, the, where's the emphasis? Is it on trees or on, on, on native perennials? It's, it's both. It's okay. really both. I mean, one oak probably has like a quantum amount more bio um, or ecosystem service than a huge bed of wildflowers because it serves, it will provide um, food for a far larger number of, of insects and particularly caterpillars. Caterpillars are kind of like the, the core group of the bird food chain. So talking about back to birds, a chickadee, according to Doug Tallamy's research, needs three to 6,000 caterpillars to raise a nest of young. And wow. in one season, if they need to raise two or three nests in order to maintain a stable population. So that's like 18,000 caterpillars, and a chickadee can't afford the energy to be flying far to find that food and bring it back to the kids. Hmm. So if your property isn't serving up a large number of caterpillars because you've sprayed it, then you're not going to have chickadees. And this is what's happening. And people are buying plants. They go to the garden center and they're sold a plant that nothing will eat. Well, that plant, that, that's like, it, I used to think that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> until until you evolved. Yeah, until you evolved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you realize, oh, wait a minute. What do you mean nothing will eat? Like, that, that's, a, that's like a dead, dead zone. Hmm. And, and so when you go outside and you see something nibbling, that's rejoice, you know. And it's working already with milkweed. So if people see a monarch caterpillar feasting on a thing that they used to think was a terrible weed and now they recognize milkweed as, as desirable, they, people get happy. But if they turn around and look at their oak tree and it's got nibbles all over it, are they going to freak out? Because if you call a spray guy, the pays in the spray. He's going to spray your tree. Yeah. Sure. And I mean, I'm looking out right now at a at an oak tree that is the most magnificent tree you've ever seen. I mean, it's probably got a, I don't know, it, the the trunk is what do you? I mean, about six six feet in diameter. Six feet in diameter. It's gigantic. Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. Maybe oh, wow. more than that. It's Maybe like the, more than that. It's like Maybe the tree out of Avatar. Feet. I wanted to ask you, uh, Edwin, about um, about garden centers. Mm-hmm. They would, is there a way to make them allies in this in a, in, in a way that, you know, could increase maybe, you know, 
traffic to their store and, and make them look like the guys in the white hats? Yes, there sure is. And actually, the Quag Wildlife Center has begun a, a really ideal program, which is they've lined up a number of local garden centers who have promised to, hand, to carry at least five natives. Now, that doesn't sound like much, and it, it kind of isn't, but it is a start. Uh-huh. And the, the, it's all about demand. If every person who walks into a garden center says, where are your native plants? Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, they're going to have to be selling them. The people at my local garden centers out here, they're all saying, well, we can't get them from the growers. We're asking. But they have to then keep asking. It's just the the chain of demand. Sure, sure. And just keep asking. But there is the Long Island Native Plant Initiative, LIMPY, and there are a number of people. There's Rewild Long Island who has got, they have plant sales. So it's it's happening. The um, Audubon has a really great native plant database. You put in your zip code, it'll tell you native plants that are good for you. Uh, Peconic Estuary Program has a great program. You get $500 for buying re- rebate on buying native plants. Wow. It's like that goes a very long way. Yeah. And it's amazing that not enough people are taking advantage of it. They have to go with it a really great online, you know, how to design a native plant garden. And my feeling is like, start small. So if you don't plant a few plants with as little islands with seas of mulch around them, those plants will never really grow in Mm -hmm. and you'll be weeding all the time. Mm -hmm. Plant tight, because look at a meadow, there's no space, there's no mulch. Mulch is really a growth inhibitor so it's really better if you can do it without bark mulch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so just plant really tight. And so if six by six space is the best you can do for your first purchase, then fine. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. Start with that. Mm-hmm. And you'll be amazed at what you get. Like, just put in a few mountain mints or, because deer don't, I can always say that safely, pigmentum because the deer don't eat them, mm-hmm. which the deer do eat most so many wildflowers the deer are a, are a challenge for us sure they eat lots of things they ate what did they eat at, at uh, maggie's our our daughters uh, had a hedge of um, of euonymus they oh, ate yeah. the entire thing <laughs> yeah. well it all can gone. replace it with the native maybe oh no 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 it all came back i <laughs> oh, mean it was it stripped well bare. that's kind of amazing because the deer really love euonymus they yeah, do the, love it, and wow. it, the entire thing came back it was like three bushes and they were alongside the driveway and they all came back but I, you know, I, I sense, and, and maybe I'm wrong, Edwina, but I'm sensing, I'm hearing a lot more about native, you know, about planting native plants, just in the, in the circles that I travel in, and maybe those are, you know, unusual circles. But I do hear about this from a lot of different people, and it seems as though it's a, a really growing phenomenon. And I love your two thirds for the birds is such a great, easy to remember and it's thing. It's an easy way to think of it. Plant yeah. two thirds of your yard with with natives. There you go. Plant yeah. two natives for every yeah. three that you plant, or plant as many natives as you can, you know? Yeah, but it's a goal that you can establish that, that, that firmly puts you into the realm of I am helping. Mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. ahead of the, you know, I am not doing something that that is not, <laughs> that's a double negative, but, you know, it's an, I am advancing the health of the earth. Yeah, yeah. Because anything less, you're, you're contributing, you're going the wrong direction. 
But don't rip out what you've got. It really doesn't matter, and especially, like, if you have one oak tree, you're really way ahead. Because it does, when you, the, the 70% calculation that Doug did really is about biomass, so that one big oak is way more productive than, like, than 100 um, pollinator, like, flowers. Yeah. But still, but it's the, a simple rule of thumb. Yeah. And if your garden is filled with exotics, then just start today and move forward and keep going. And sooner or later, that balance will tip. Mm-hmm. This website, the website for our audience is, is literally the numbers 234 and then the word birds.org, 234birds. It's deceptively simple when you first look at it. it just it's, it's very clean and very simple, and then you dive in, and there's a lot. You have a lot of information on this, on this website. It's really great. Oh, thanks. And, you know, I, there's so much more that yeah. I'm going to do. Okay. And I encourage everybody else to do more, and I would love it if everybody signs up and um, put your name on there to let the world know that you're going to do it. And obviously we aren't policing anyone. It's really just, you know, the commitment is in your heart and in your mind. I signed up while we've been talking. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have access to a computer yeah, at the moment, I'm, I'm but I will. I'm sitting here with my laptop. I couldn't resist. So I signed. <laughs> pa- Patty and I are, are signed up. Oh, you up signed on, me up too? I did. I oh, signed you up Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're great. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Well, Edwina, this is terrific. Is there anything else you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about? Um, well, they can also go to, if, if you need to know how to make a garden without chemicals, go to perfectearthproject.org, mm-hmm. and um, all that information is there. And um, it, there's also a link to it in the two-thirds website. But we will, and we do workshops and things, and also if, if you have questions, just write to me. Perfect Earth Project is uh, just one. What's that URL? Is it actually spelled out those words? Yeah, perfectearthproject.org. Okay, good. Spelled out. Okay, because I know that your logo is PRFCT Earth Project. Or yeah, uh, and you can, you can, we have that URL. Oh, you too, do? Okay, cool. So if you cool. happen to put it in that way, it'll work. Oh, okay, all right, great. This yeah. is terrific. Okay. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear about well, this. Well, congratulations to you for, for, for doing this. I think this is really smart. I think it's really great. I'm happy to you know, help with your promotion and get the word out there to as many people as we can. I really think it's, it's great. Something, it's something that we've been on. The whole native species thing is something we've been on for a couple of years around our property and really working hard. to. It's, it's really great. Something, something everybody could take part in and, and do for the earth. It's really great to do with children. And one of the things that people should know is that actually most of the bees you're attracting are native bees, and native bees don't sting. They just, they're, they're most of their stingers aren't strong enough to penetrate your skin. And so it's not like if, if you have an allergy or something, it's, it, a bee allergy, it's really not of concern. Yeah, but identifying those little bees uh, on the spot. <laughs> are you, you a know, native bee? Are you a native bee or not? <laughs> no, but most of the time, like the bees that are bad, they're not really generally the pollinator bees. They're like wasps and all. They yeah. don't go yeah. for pollen and nectar. Yeah. They, they yeah. want your beer. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they want your beer. They want your yeah. your plate with your watermelon rind on it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Their sugar. Yeah. There's they like our meat and sugar. But I'm just saying that people say to me, I can't have those, you know, because I'm going to get stung. But really, and especially if you're sitting quietly by a plant that's just humming with bees, they are so not interested in you. Yeah. That you'd really yeah. have, you have to yeah. like, step on them or yeah. hurt them or threaten them somehow. Yeah. Or wave and, your hands and say, hey. <laughs> over here. Hey, over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, and, oh, the other thing. One thing people always ask me about is ticks. Yes. And so, and we're saying no pesticides because if you want pollinators in your yard, there is no spray that kills only ticks. Sprays kill everything. Mm. They mm. kill all insects. They're, they're not selective. So what my advice is, which I get from Southampton hospitals, you know, the, no, it's Stony Brook, the, the Tick-Borne Disease Center, and from Cary, the Cary Institute, is you spray yourself because there is no way that you're going to kill every tick on your property and keep it, it that way. And if you do, you have killed everything else. And we're, we're also seeing a massive, that related to the bird die-off is, of course, loss of insects because the yeah. insects are gone, so the birds have nothing to eat or feed their babies. And that includes our firefly population has crashed. And... So, and that has a lot to do with people really relentlessly spraying for ticks. And according to the Cary Institute, spraying your yard has, there is no evidence that that has decreased the incidence of tick-borne diseases. Hmm. So it's, it's sad that so much destruction is happening with no positive impact for yeah. people. So you have to spray yourself. You're the target. You're the one the tick is after, not your landscape. So, like, you find a pest, a, a repellent that you're comfortable with, and spray yourself, and check yourself, because when people spray their yards, they get less vigilant, and they they stop checking. Mm-hmm. Well, people are and, spraying their yards with these <coughs> non-toxic tick sprays now. They're using this wintergreen oil and so on. Does, and it's it's is it this? Are you getting the same effect that it's actually killing them? Well, if it lands on a bee or a butterfly, there's a high chance that it will have a negative impact on that insect. And once again, there is nothing that has an effect particular to ticks. So if if you're spraying something that is a repellent, Mm -hmm. it's going to repel all insects. Right. If you're spraying something that is a pesticide or an insecticide, it's going to kill everything it hits. Right, right. And so even organic or non-organic, it's, it's a broad spectrum, and it's a very, it's an approach, you know, so it's, it's very heavy-handed. Mm. And yes, you can knock back the tick population on a property for a short period of time. So if you're freaked out about having a birthday party for your kids and you want to use an organic spray, do it when the pollinators are not out and about and spray the area where the party's going to be and have your party. And I, if you use a repellent, I don't think you're going to be doing any terrible lasting damage. But the organic sprays don't last very long. Right. And so they're expensive and people have to repeat them. And then you are just... So what we're saying is if you want a pollinator garden or if you, or if you want to keep 
beehives or anything, you do not spray because then you're attracting you're you're attracting the pollinators and then you're killing them. Hmm. Yeah. Edwina Van Gaal, the founder of Two Three Four Birds and also the Perfect Earth Project, and a friend of ours for a long time. We're so glad that you uh, could join us here on Green Street. Thanks for being our guest today. Delighted. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street. Many thanks to our engineer, the voice of WBAI himself, Mr. Michael G. Haskins, and to all the other members of the small staff at WBAI who work so hard to keep this station on the air despite the many challenges they face every day. Thanks again to our guest, Edwina Van Gaal. We hope you all learned something about our natural world, and of course there's a lot more to learn, so please check out her website. Again, it's 234birds.org. 234birds.org. And thanks to all of you who are members of WBAI and who've made a contribution to this great station. For those of you who are just listening and have never contributed or are not members, um, I hope you'll consider making a donation today, if only to assuage the guilt you must be feeling about listening for free and not contributing. Uh, Patty and I will not be on the air next week, but we will be back in two weeks with another edition of Green Street. Until then, we hope you stay safe, stay well, and as the great John Lewis is famous for saying, get out there and make some good trouble. Bye for now. Bye for now.